Jesus, we come to you. We come to you hungry for you, for the bread of life. We need you. We depend on you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. You satisfy us more than anything this world could ever offer. So help us set our affection and our desire on you this morning as we approach your word. For your glory. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's nice to be back. My name is Lenny Konchewitz. For those of you who don't know me, I am the resident church planter here at Grace, and uh, my family and I, we moved to St. Augustine in the end of last year to lead our church plant called The Table over there. And um, I just, I'm just going to do a shameless plug here right now. We're looking for children's ministers, for people who can help with the kids. We actually look for a good visionary children's director who can help us start and build a youth ministry over there that will really just bring the values and the gospel that we believe in to those children. There are so many kids over there. So if you, may, if you maybe feel called or know of somebody who might feel called, please come and talk to me afterwards. Advertisement over. <laughs> <laughs> I am originally from Germany, as you probably know or may hear, and um, I appreciate this series that we're currently in now this month called The Bread of Life. Because us Germans, we love our bread. I'm sure some of you who have tasted German bread, you feel like, man, that's as close to Jesus as it can get, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I'm really pleased that we found a German baker in St. Augustine. Um, he immigrated here from uh, somewhere in the south of Germany many years ago, and I think I'm going to be a regular at his place. So today I want to just encourage you and trust that the word will also just convict us. It certainly has convicted me. I needed to hear this message myself, and I'm really happy and glad to, to just share it with you all, but I'm really preaching to all of us, including myself. Before we jump right in, I want to do a quick review of what has happened so far. Um, we are in John chapter 6, and you're welcome to follow along in your pew Bible if you want to on page 892. Sometimes it's a bit easier. To um, follow along, page 892, John 6, verses 37 through 51. And um, do you, who of you remembers the TV series 24 with Jack Bauer? Yeah, most guys are like, oh yeah, <laughs> I remember that one. It's, it's a bit of older TV series already where Jack Bauer, that anti-terrorist guy, basically solves all the problems that America has within 24 hours, basically, and. And uh, before every episode, there is this intro that says, previously on 24. Do you remember that? Yeah, and then they give a little recap of what happened before. Now, I, I want to use this here because we are in a 24-hour period from between Jesus multiplying bread for 5,000 people and their, sorry, 5,000 men, and probably most of them were married and had children. So we're talking about actually a really big crowd way more than 5,000 people. So it's a 24-hour period from that to where we're at now. In fact, it's probably even less than 24 hours. A lot has happened in these 24 hours. So Jesus multiplied bread. Everybody was so impressed by him and with this miracle that it says at the beginning of John 6 that the people tried to make him king by force because they were convinced he must be the prophet. He must be the Messiah. 
Jesus withdraws and hides in the mountains and prays, and he sends his disciples on, and then the next big thing happens. He walks on water. He walks on water to his disciples, and, and they are just in shock and awe. Who is this? Who is this man? And then they land on the other side of the lake, and then the next day, all the crowds wake up, and they wonder, hey, where's our food multiplier? And they don't find him, so they all go and chase after him. We don't know how many of those 5,000 are still left, but probably a good crowd. And they all run after him and say, hey, hey, where have you been? Where have you gone? And Jesus says, well, you only run after me because you want more food, right? And this is what Pastor Mike preached about last week. It's basically, don't just come to me for literal food. There's more I have to offer. There's a, a nourishment I can give you that, that is more than just the temporary satisfaction for your tummy. And so there's a lot happening here. The emotions are high. The, the disciples have hardly slept. Okay, they were busy in the storm, seeing Jesus on the water, walking. I mean, they're probably still emotionally drained, maybe like some of us after this pandemic. And the crowds, too, they're just wondering, who is this guy now, really? He, he does amazing things, but he says crazy things. And so here we have one of those conversations. It, it, it continues, basically. We're still in the middle of this conversation. And the main point that Jesus really has been trying to make for a while now in this conversation is, I am the true bread of life. I am the true bread of life. I am the most basic nourishment that you need, which is what bread really is. It's the most basic form of nourishment, really in, in any culture, really, or in most cultures. I mean, honestly, what better is there than a nice, warm, freshly baked loaf of bread <laughs> with just butter melting on it, the, the, just the anointing oil of the Spirit on there, you know? <laughs> like, it's Jesus knows how to, <laughs> how to capture people's <laughs> attention there, at least Germans' attention. Um, you know, the Jews actually considered the Torah, the five first books of the Bible, they considered the Torah, the bread, from heaven. That was another word for the Torah. So it's interesting, but also borderline offensive, that Jesus talks to the Jews and says, I am the bread, that came down from heaven. It makes sense why they might be so offended or wondering what in the world is he talking about. The Torah is holy. It's God's word. Does he think he is bigger and greater than the word of God? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He says, I am the word of God made flesh. I am the Torah in human form. I am the perfect communication of and about God and who God is. Whoever sees me, sees the Father. The manna in the desert, and he's referring to that. Remember the story where God gave food to the Israelites in the desert when they were hungry, and this miraculous bread appeared from heaven called the manna bread. Jesus is referring to that and saying that is, was a prophetic shadow of me. I am the true bread from heaven. Manna was miraculous, but it was not inherently life-giving. The Torah the Bible is miraculous, but it is not inherently life-giving. Jesus is the true bread from heaven who is inherently life-giving, offering eternal life to all who eat 
this bread. And what does he mean by eating his bread? Well, he kind of clarifies it here a little bit. He says, whoever looks to me and believes in me will have eternal life. So eating the bread of Jesus starts with looking at Jesus and believing in him. And then, of course, you know, later he talks about how he will give his flesh and for the whole world, and we, we do communion here, and we receive this mystery of communion, the presence of Christ and the elements. But all of that, really, it starts first with our hearts looking to Christ and believing in him. This is how we eat the bread of life at least according to what Jesus says here. He says, it is my Father's will, in verse 40, you can see that, it is my Father's will. It's his will, it's not my idea, Jesus says, it's his will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, we have a little bit of, a, of an issue now coming up in verse 41. The issue is that bread really only is for the hungry, right? If you're not hungry, you won't go and buy bread. It's a very <laughs> simple truth. Yeah, big amen to that. If you're not hungry, you don't eat. Now, what are some reasons why you don't eat? There might be multiple reasons. One reason could be you just had a meal and you just are not hungry. Another reason could be that you're sick, right? Often when you're sick, your body kind of shuts down and, and you, you lose your appetite, your, hungry, your, your hunger. Another reason could be, and I had this revelation recently by watching my five, four, almost five-year-old little boy. It could be grumbling and anger that hinders you from being hungry. I remember a few nights ago, my boy wanted something. I don't know what it was. I said no. I said, come here, eat your dinner. No, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> We've all been there, right? We've all had those days where we were grumpy, angry, upset, frustrated, and often it somehow twists our stomach. Now, some, for other people, it may be the opposite. They're like, man, I'm going to just eat even more now. But I would say in most cases, there's something in us that doesn't want to, to have food anymore. And I think this is somehow happening here. I think Jesus has, has said enough to make the people upset so that they don't realize that they have the bread of life in front of him and they don't feel drawn to him and to the life that he has to offer. And why? Because they grumbled about him. John 6, verse 41 says, and I believe that the apostle John who writes this gospel, he uses this this um, term grumbling intentionally because, again, he refers back to the story of Israel in the desert. The main thing that, that Israel did in the desert, the main thing they did do wrong over and over was what? Grumbling and complaining. God tested them in the desert for 40 years and they just kept on grumbling and grumbling and complaining. And when the manna came down from heaven in response to the grumbling, it didn't take very long until the Israelites started grumbling about the manna because they were tired of manna. They wanted meat. <laughs> so they grumbled and complained. And John is basically saying here by using this, by, by using this word grumbling, he's, 
referring to the same experience in Israel, saying the same is happening here. The, the, the Israelites, the Jews, the crowd are waiting for the Messiah, are waiting for God to come and help them. And here God comes, but he doesn't come in such a way as they would have expected him to come, saying things that they find offensive, and they start grumbling. They reject the bread that God is sending them from heaven, just like their forefathers rejected the manna that God sent them from heaven. I'm from Germany, like I just said, and unfortunately we are a little bit known to be a grumbling and complaining culture. I asked my wife recently, hey, how would you describe Germans? How would you describe the culture in Germany? And one of the first things she said was, well, you guys always just complain about everything. <laughs> now, I think it has helped us in some ways to be innovative, to build nice cars, because we're just never satisfied with the way things are. We always look for a better solution, a better way of doing things. And yet, if we're not careful, it creates a toxic environment that hinders flourishing and, and, and joy and happiness. Would you say, if you think of Germans, that they are particularly happy and radiant and joyful? I mean, except for examples like me. <laughs> Probably not, right? In fact, some of you may have grown up with German grandparents or have German ancestors, and I would like to know if any of you remember them being rather distant and perfectionist and grumbling, or if you remember them being affectionate and embracing and cuddly and just kissing you all the time. And I'm willing to bet that 90-95% of your German experience was probably more like a distant, complaining kind of attitude. In fact, we have a saying in Germany that says, if I don't complain, that's all the praise you get from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> but back to Israel. Israel complained in the desert. They wanted something else. And so do the Jews here that Jesus is talking to. They start complaining and grumbling among themselves. Sometimes, God offends our minds to reveal what's in our hearts. That is a key tool that he uses in discipleship. He offends our minds to reveal what's in our hearts. This is what he did with Israel in the desert, and this is what he's doing here with the crowd that he's talking to. This is what he has been doing in my life. And I'm sure if you think about it, you can come up with examples of how you have experienced or gone through things that maybe offended you in your relationship with God, where you wondered, why does God do that? Why does he allow that? Now, it's not wrong inherently to ask these questions. What is dangerous is if these questions create a root of grumbling and complaining in us that start blinding us to seeing the presence of Christ and the true bread of life in our very midst. Grumbling affects our ability to see the truth of who Jesus is. Grumbling affects our ability to see Christ in the presence of our circumstances. 
See, there's two ways we can react to our enemies. Psalm 23 says, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When we are surrounded by enemies, we have two choices. We can start grumbling and complaining and whining about our enemies, or we can sit down at the table of the joy of the Lord that is right there. He prepares, he wants to, he wants to invite you into his presence. He wants to, to invite you to take a seat at his table. And what do you serve at the table? You serve bread, right? So Jesus, the bread of life, wants to, to be revealed to us in the presence of our enemies. And you know, there's something the devil doesn't like at all is when we ignore him too much. Now, I'm not saying you should be completely blind to his ways, but I think he needs a healthy dose of just being ignored from us because we're so occupied with fixing our eyes on Jesus that we learn to feast and partake of the bread of life in the midst of our circumstances. Grumbling gives Satan a foothold. We just read that in Ephesians chapter 4. It is so clear. Get rid of anger. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of grumbling. Get rid of offense. Get rid of these things. They give Satan a foothold. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get rid of this stuff. And my goodness, our society, our culture, it's just, it has low-hanging, ripe fruit of offense, bitterness, grumbling and complaining. And I want to repeat, I'm preaching to myself just as much. But if we don't get rid of this attitude, if we don't get rid of complaining and grumbling and partake of life and become a source of life in the society, if we don't do that, who, who should do it? We, we certainly can't expect the world to do it. We can't be mad with the world if they sin. That's what you do when you don't know Jesus. <laughs> I'm not saying sin is good. I'm just saying, let's not be mad at our enemies, the spiritual enemies. Let's partake of the bread of life in our midst and then start bringing that life to those out there who are stuck in bitterness and complaining and grumbling. But we need to get out of the snare first. What are we, what are you and me currently grumbling about? Which person comes to your mind? <laughs> Ouch. What situation comes to your mind? I love how Jesus responds to the situation. All he says is, stop grumbling. <laughs> stop it. Stop grumbling among yourselves. And then he basically goes on to explain and says, if you want to see who I really am, if you want to see that I am the bread of life, you actually need supernatural help from my Father. The Father needs to draw you. It reminds us a little bit of the incident with Jesus and Peter where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. In the same way, Jesus is saying, if you want to discern who I really am, it's not something you think yourself into. It's something that requires a supernatural revelation from the Father. He needs to be able to draw you. And I believe, it is, I, I believe we do have a role to play, though, in this process. And that is that we humble ourselves, that we maybe lay down our, our ideas of what God should be like and how he should act and what he should be doing, and that we just lay down our opinions 
I think our opinions and our pride are so in the way so many times and they cut us off from the, from the life of God. I want to invite us this morning to humble ourselves and to say, Father, draw us to Jesus. Make us hungry for him. If he's the bread of life, let us not waste our time trying to fill our hearts and our souls with anything else. Make us hungry for the true bread of life. Blessed are the hungry. You know, he then concludes Jesus in this last verse. I want to read it with you. He concludes by saying, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the author of eternal life. And what happened 24 hours before, the multiplication of food for the 5,000, that was just a starter. What's coming next is he's going to give his flesh for the whole world. Forget about 5,000. I mean, that's a big crowd. We would all agree, right? But in light of the, the, the crowd that Jesus really has in mind, this is just a little, little tiny starter. He wants to feed the whole world with his flesh, with his, with his own life, with his own body. And we get to be a part of that, just like Jesus used his disciples to distribute this food to the 5,000, so he wants to use us today to distribute his spiritual food to the entire world. This is our mission, to help feed the world with the eternal, life-giving bread of Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, are you ready to look to Jesus and believe in him? Maybe you're here and maybe you've never actually made that decision. And I want to encourage you. Today might be the day where the Father is drawing you, where he's stirring up hunger in you to maybe for the first time ever really put the eyes of your hearts on him and say, yes, I want to believe that. I take that step of faith. I want to encourage you to do that today. Or maybe you're here and you say, I'm, I'm stuck in grumbling and complaining. Anger is just there, and it hinders me from stepping into the fullness and the life of God. Maybe that's you. Then I want to encourage you just to, to take this moment now, and I'm going to pray in a minute, but we're going to take a moment, and I want to encourage you to just let the Holy Spirit start searching your heart and, and carry that into even the, the time of confession we have later. And let us just surrender, humble ourselves, and lay down our opinions and say, come, Lord, and search me and just take away everything that causes grumbling and complaining in me. Let me sit down at the table in the presence of my enemies and enjoy your presence, regardless of my circumstances. Let us pray. <coughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you for offering your whole life, everything to us. Thank you that you thought of the whole world when you hung on the cross. You saw us here 2,000 years later. You saw us with eyes of love. And Lord, may we not let this moment pass. May we not let this moment pass because we're hungry for other things. 
May we be drawn into your presence and partake of your eternal life. Come, Holy Spirit, and start convicting us where we need to repent. Worship you, Jesus. Oh, we worship you. Let your presence come, Lord. Amen.